Okay, well, let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning. So as you'll come back, uh, open your scriptures to 1 John chapter 5. By the way, it might be occurring to some of you that we're running out of 1 John. In other words, we're, we're you know, pushing on toward the end of this study. Uh, when we finish 1 John, and Lord willing, we're going to begin an extended study of 1 Peter and into 2 Peter. So that's where we'll be heading next. Uh, in case you want to uh, do some reading in those, in those books, that would be great. 1 John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 14 is where we start our study today. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, guide and direct in our time together. Give grace in it. Open our hearts and minds. Illumine us as we study what you've said. Keep us focused, Heavenly Father. So thankful that you're a God who has spoken. You've not left us to ourselves to know what's important and true. Teach us in this time, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quickly, by way of summary, uh, last week we were looking at verses 11 to 13 in the fifth chapter, and we were looking at the promise of eternal life that is found through Jesus Christ, that God is giving us the testimony about it, uh, the witness in a way, uh, telling us, listen, uh, I am giving you eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, And the wonder of that promise was the focus of our study last week. The gift of eternal life, by the way, is given to people who are actually dying, otherwise it doesn't mean anything. If somebody's already not dying, then you say, well, I'm going to give you not dying. It doesn't mean anything. You follow the inconsistency there? So the very promise itself implies something, doesn't it? That people are dying. The value of a gift is lost if one doesn't realize they need it. And in the the terms of here, uh, the value of the cross, the value of the promise is lost on the person who doesn't think they need it. But the biblical truth is very, very plain. We've talked about it different times in Ephesians chapter 2 and other places, that we are by nature creatures of wrath, all of us. We are without God in this world and without hope in this world. Uh, We have no solution to our sin problem, the very thing I was talking about earlier today. And therefore, when God is making an offer to us of eternal life, he's making it to people who are dying, uh, people who are in need of that very life. And last week we talked about the fact, to really understand the the wonder of this promise of eternal life, is to understand that God is not saying to us that we will just simply continue to exist. The fact of the matter is, everybody and all creation continues to exist. The issue is, where do you continue to exist? Are you going to continue to exist in the presence of God and in relationship with God? Or will you continue to exist separated out from God? That's the issue before humanity. Eternal life is the promise to us that we will have an unending relationship with God. We will be able to experience life as God created it to be experienced. We will be able to have an eternal life in relationship with God that satisfies the deepest yearnings of the human heart because he created it that way. 
He created our hearts. He created us with the desire to be in that sort of relationship with God. So again, the promise of eternal life isn't the promise merely of existing. It is the promise of a full and purposeful and satisfying experience reconciled with the Heavenly Father. That's the great wonder of it. And he told us, in summary, that that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The one who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Notice it's only in Christ that this great promise is possible for us. And, by the way, the implication of that is, all who don't know Christ do not have life. That promise of eternal life is precluded from them. And they will be facing an eternity without the Son, an eternity unreconciled to the Father, an eternity that means separation from God, shut off from everything that has its source in God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the things that are part and parcel of who God is and how he created us, shut off from it. And they will be shut off from it in a conscious reality. They will be aware of being shut off from it. I mean, it's almost, it's all so horrifying, you don't even like to talk about it sometimes. But we need to remind ourselves about it, because then we start to understand the wonder of the gospel. That there's an alternative for those of us who are sinners, which is everybody since Adam and Eve onward. There's an alternative. Praise God, there's an alternative. Well, today, in these verses in 14 and 15, God makes another amazing promise to us. But this time, the promise is a promise about prayer. We know these verses are about prayer because he says, this is the confidence we have toward him if we ask anything. The word ask, ateo in the Greek, means to request, to speak to, to, to petition that's what prayer is. It's interacting with. It's asking. It's interacting with God. It's petitioning God. Prayer is asking. I loved the way it's put here, and I like that God chose this word, ateo, as the word to, to be translated asking, because it helps us to understand that prayer simply means talking and asking, speaking with God, communicating with God. That's what prayer is. We have, sadly, as a product of our culture, a product of many things that are less than the best teachings, we've, all of us to some degree have been, have been affected by an understanding of prayer that makes prayer a very mystical, ceremonial thing. You know, we don't think of it in terms of conversation. We think of it in terms of some ritual step. You have to go through these right words. You have to do this thing. And then if you do this thing right, then maybe you'll get audience with God. And then if you do get the audience, you have to do it in this way, and you have to say this and do that. Uh, God says, let's get rid of all of that. We're not talking mystical. We're not talking ritual here. We're talking talking. <laughs> We're talking talking. Oh. Oh, well, then that the word prayer isn't necessarily a really religiously complex word then, is it? It just means talking. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Prayer is simply the second part of communication and relationship. The first part of it is God talks to us. He talks to us through the Word. 
Remember, the whole word is God-breathed word. Talks to us through the Holy Spirit's prompting in our lives and guidance in our lives because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then we speak to God, communicating with Him. Prayer's our response, all right? God never prays to us. We pray to Him, all right? Uh, That's the second side of communication. God speaking to us, we speaking to God, communicating with Him. So let's see what he says about prayer here. Try to make some sense out of it. He makes a promise. He says this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and that if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests we've asked of him. And again, understand all of this is being written to the believer. We've talked frequently about part of the interpretive process of the scriptures is to know who's being addressed. Some of the scripture addresses the unbeliever. Some of the scripture addresses the believer. This portion's addressing the believer. He's speaking to those who know Christ and have the promise of eternal life and so forth. He says, now listen, uh, we can know that our prayers are heard and answered. We can know that God cares about that. One of the benefits of eternal life, this special reconciled relationship with God that comes as we respond to the gospel, is that now we can pray confidently. The word confidence here, here is the confidence that we have. Parisia in the Greek means to be boldly confident. I mean, you just move forward. You're not intimidated. You're not afraid. You're not wondering whether you got the rights. You just boldly move forward. That's simply what it means. It means if I know Jesus Christ is my Savior i got a basis for confidence in coming before God. I'm not confident when I come before God because i got the right formula. Remember, that's part of the attachment to prayer that's destroyed prayer for most people. Because they're all trapped in, how did I say it? How, you know, did I frame it right and all that? No, 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 it's not a formula. That's not what makes me bold because I memorized the right formula. <laughs> no. And certainly my boldness in prayer has nothing to do with how much money I gave to God. Let's just get rid of all of that terrible atrocity called seed faith that's out there in the, in the broader Christian community that says, well, you give God this much and then he'll promise to do this and this and this for you. What do you think God is, a barterer? What's, what's this all about? Certainly it's not biblical. It doesn't come from anything the Bible tells us. So we're not confident because we know we put our seed money in. So we can be confident when we're talking to God. No, no. And certainly it's not the intensity of our efforts that make us confident. Remember in the, on Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal spent all afternoon cutting themselves, working themselves to a sweat and eventual near exhaustion, try to get somebody to answer. You know, and just in, in Elijah's case, he just kind of made fun of them. You know, and he said, well, that's not a very good strategy. Well, that's what he did. He made fun of them and... And then he didn't work at all. He just said, okay, dig the holes deeper, pour water on everything. Okay, God, show your power. You know, you follow? So what's the, the prayer, confidence in prayer had nothing to do with intensity of effort. So what did it have to do with? What, what makes us confident? Well, prayer for the believer. We can have confidence in prayer as a believer Because we now have a relationship with a loving Father. That's what God said. 
That's the image God develops for us in the Scriptures. A relationship with a loving Father. (laughs) We can understand, sadly, because we live in a fallen world, that not all fathers are gracious and loving. And there can be some times where children are less than bold and confident in dealing with their parent. I mean, we know that's the reality. Let's, let's admit that. But remember, we have a perfect Heavenly Father. <laughs> and in Christ, He loves us. We are adopted into His family. We have the best that can be in terms of a father. And God says, prayer is all about confidence because you know you're talking to somebody that loves you. You can talk to your dad. Now, he might shake his head at you and say, I don't know where you came up with, with this idea or that idea, but here, let me give you a hug. I love you, man. You know, It's sort of that way with God. We, we have confidence because he loves us. In the best image of human family, he loves us. No one's afraid to talk to their dad if they convince they that he loves them. Which, by the way, says why many people are afraid to talk to God. Because they're not convinced he loves them. What a blessing that you and I, as adopted children, can have boldness simply because the one we're talking to loves us in the best of ways. Best of ways. He doesn't love me and will listen to me because I've used the right formula. Often, because he loves me, despite the formula I use, he listens to me, <laughs> interacts with me. I like the freedom that gives us, and God wants us to have that kind of freedom in dealing with God. But he also says, listen, it's not just that we can pray confidently, but we can pray knowing. He says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we've asked, we know we have the requests we've made of him. We, one of the benefits of our eternal life only is, isn't only that we can pray confidently, but we can pray knowing. And this word know is the same word that we found back with the promise of eternal life. We can actually know. Not know in terms of experiential knowledge, which was much used earlier in the book of 1 John. Last week we saw the issue of eternal life was the Greek word oida or adon, which refers to intellectual fact. We can know we've got eternal life. Here he says, you can know you're heard. You can know factual. Whatever you may feel like at the moment, you can know. You can know. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I can know. Factual knowledge. I can know for sure that my prayer is heard by God. I don't just have to have a hope so feeling about it. I sure hope he was listening, you know. No, no. He says, no, you can know. You can know for sure. You and I can be bold in prayer because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. You and I can be bold in prayer because we know He's listening to us. We know we have His ear. It's not like sometimes with parents where you've got their ear sort of but you know they're a mile away and where their head is. I'm guilty of that often uh, with my children over the years and grandchildren too. And If there's ever any great-grandchildren, probably then too. It's like, 
Well, he was listening, but we're not quite sure he was listening. You know, he was quiet during the time I was talking. Well, anyway, uh, we can be certain that we have God's ear. He's listening. So my prayer times, my conversation with God is never wasted effort. Prayer is not some sort of spiritual catharsis thing you do, you know, sort of like a Hindu stare at your navel thing. You know, well, I do this stuff because I feel sort of resolved at the other end of it. It's cathartic for me. What an insult to the God who's really there. The God of eternity opens up relationship with him so you can have catharsis? What kind of idiocy is that? And yet that's what people understand prayer to be in some cases. Oh, that's what it's about, you know. Oh, brothers and sisters, how wrong can we get? (laughs) That's not the case. Our prayer life is no wasted effort, no catharsis. It's communication, sharing, interaction with God. By the way, let let me give you the other side of the picture here because I think it underscores the wonder of the promise because we're talking about a promise here, an amazing promise. The other side of the picture is that the Bible gives absolutely no assurance anywhere to the unbeliever that God listens to them. Let me repeat it. The Bible gives no promise anywhere that God listens to the unbeliever. Now, you remember already, as we've talked about things in 1 John, the world around us, the unbelieving world, makes the wrong assumption, well, everybody's a child of God. So it doesn't stand to reason, if, they, if they've made that wrong assumption, they also would assume, well, everybody gets, gets to talk to God then, everybody kind of has this opportunity for interaction with God. They're both wrong assumptions. They're both wrong assumptions. Everybody then assumes, well, God, I can expect God to answer prayer then because, I mean, isn't that what he's there for, to do these things? So they picture God in their minds as some type of celestial genie that if I can only get around to rubbing the lamp right, which I'll get around to if my life gets messed up or I've got some serious problems, and then I'll rub the lamp right, and then he's obligated to grant the wishes. You say, well, how could... Doesn't that seem crazy? Yes, it does. But it also is at the heart of the world's view. You don't have to spend much time sitting down over coffee with people to realize that's exactly how they see it. Like I finally gave God some attention here, told him about some things. Now I'm waiting to see whether he does it or not. Like, and my response when I'm sitting down with somebody over a coffee, I said, you're going to wait a long time. Why? Because God's not your genie. That image of God has no biblical foundation. When I'm dealing with the non-Christians, and I've had them in my circle all of these years, whether it's been in the community, in the, in the university, in other jobs, whatever, when somebody's going through a difficult time, I have no qualms to go to them and say, hey, I know this is going through... I'm remembering you in my prayers. I don't have any qualms to say that to them at all, because I am. I have access to the Father. They don't. So I can pray for them, and I know that God honors that. He'll answer it according to his own purpose, but I can 
I can tell somebody that and mean it. You don't want to tell somebody that and you don't mean that you'll do it. Because then it's just empty. But if you say, well, I'm going to pray for you. You're going through this tough time. You know what I never do? Please understand this. I never, I haven't for 50 years encouraged any unbeliever to pray about the tragic situations they're going through. Never. Why? Because there's no biblical promise that God hears and listens. God didn't give me that right to tell them. Look what he had to do to give me access. Look what he had to do to send his own son to die on a cross for me in order for me to have access, to have confidence and opportunity to come boldly before the presence of God. God doesn't give me any right to tell anybody else, well, you just start talking to God. He'll be, he'll be so grateful to hear from you, he'll do whatever. No, that is baloney, brothers and sisters. That's not biblical. It's baloney. God does promise to listen to and respond to a prayer of an unbeliever. So let me set the record straight. There is one promise in the scripture about that. He promises to listen to the the prayer of repentance and faith from an unbeliever and honor it with salvation. That is the only, only thing that God promises. So you say, you don't, so you're telling me that God refuses to listen to them? I don't have any idea whether he does or doesn't. My ideas are only what does the Bible tell me. But what I can say is I have no biblical reason to give anybody confidence God's listening to them. So the last thing I want to do as a believer is go around giving false comfort to somebody to say, well, you know, you just pray about these things, God will intervene. You mean... Me, who I don't pay any attention to God, he's of no interest in my life at all, but I'm in this trouble, maybe he'll get me out of it. Is that what you tell people? You're wrong if that's what you tell them. You're wrong. If you say, I pray for you, though, I care about what you're going through, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for your circumstance. If you'd like to talk more about it, we can talk. Because that gives an opportunity to talk to them about the one who has the answers for them. Not just in their problem, but for their life. But don't give them false ideas. Don't give them false ideas. Well, enough haranguing on that. Why do I harangue on it? Because there's so much false teaching out there. Because there's so many well-intended false things that believers do. Let's be biblical people. doesn't mean we don't care about people. It just means I care enough about them not to give anybody false promises. Just like if I'm dealing with somebody who's lost someone and they don't have made no profession of Christ, I don't go around giving them false promises, saying, oh, well, I know they're in a better place. I know they're not in a better place. They're in a worse place than they were before. God didn't call me to give poisonous candy like that? Because if I tell them that about somebody that's not interested in the Lord, has given no evidence of it, why would they be interested if they get that same outcome? And so not only have I given false message about the person who's never turned to Christ, but I've actually created a barrier to somebody else turning to Christ. Better to tell the truth. Better to tell the truth. Well, anyway, let's get down back to the prayer issue. 
He says, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that every request asked of him. Here's the point. Because I'm redeemed. Not because I'm a great guy. I'm redeemed. I'm a messed up sinner. That's the reason I turned to Jesus in the first place. You know, I'm redeemed. And I'm adopted as a result. And I'm, I'm a child of God now. Now, as a child, I can talk with the Heavenly Father like a parent and a child talk. That's what it's about. I can boldly do that. I have confidence to do that. I can be confident of two-way communication with God. True prayer is simply that. Communication. Sharing. Hearing. Responding. Caring. Brothers and sisters, the issue with prayer is not simply, are we asking? The issue far more significantly is, is he listening and answering? Otherwise, it's just like that. That's it. That's what prayer is. The issue is, what's God's response to it? And I'm telling you, this passage makes wonderful, amazing promises to the believer that are not made to the unbeliever. All the more reason for us to rejoice in our salvation and be determined to try to help those who don't know Christ to come to know him and to understand some of the other benefits that can be theirs in him. It is to this issue of sharing and hearing and answering that he also speaks in these verses. And this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we have the request we made to ask of him. He's telling us something about the relationship between the answers from God and his will. He's talking to us about the nature of prayer, of course. But he's also talking to us about the nature of answers. Let's look at it. He says, we pray according to his will. He answers. He answers. By the way, that's, that's a reason why in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Jesus talking to his disciples, well, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He says, you know, if you're going to understand something about prayer, that's sort of what you do. He said, your will be done. And you say, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, think of how Jesus fleshes it out in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, where he says, I'm going, this is on the final night. And he says, going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Notice, I'm in tough times. I'm in a bad circumstance. i got a cross coming up. But then he ends, he says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. All prayer is to be prayed linked to the Father's will. God wants us to communicate our desire, of course. But always, just like here, if it's possible, let this, pass, let this cup pass from me. Lord, is there any way that this mess that I'm finding, the, this, this health issue for somebody I care about, the, this setback in some other ways, is there any way that can go away? Wonderful, Lord, would you intervene in that way? But nevertheless, not what I want. But your will, your will be done. And the fact that he answers according to his will 
is meant to be the ultimate assurance for you and for me. Why? Well, it's an expression of his mercy and grace because you and I are finite. I hate to break that to you. You and I are finite. We're simply human beings. In practice, what that means is, I don't really know what's best, I don't really know what's right, and I don't even really know what's proper to ask for. In the big scheme of things, don't you ever feel like that? It's like, well, I, I don't, I'm not looking up too high like the helicopter view. <laughs> I don't see enough of what's happening to really know what's, what's really best in this situation. Think of Jesus in the garden. What was best that he went to the cross? Think about it like a child. Again, that's the image God is using. I'm, you know, a child, now we're adopted into the family. He's a loving father. We can communicate. Think about it like that, where a child goes and they talk to their parent and they ask for something. But a loving parent who knows what they're asking for is in, in their best interest doesn't give them that. Gives them something else. That's the way the Heavenly Father is. What's that mean? That means that my loving Heavenly Father overrules my stupidity and weakness. And I take hope in that. I take hope in that. Because I've seen lots of things over many years in my life where in this world, my stupidity and weakness created a number of things I wish had been overcome, but nonetheless I live with them. I serve a Heavenly Father who says, Yeah, you're finite. You don't see everything you need to see about this circumstance you're in. I'm going to do what's best for you in this circumstance. That's what you ought to do. You say, oh, Lord, I'm so glad that you're operating from a much bigger, better perspective on these things than I am. I can trust you. Remember how Luke 11 puts it, Jesus is speaking. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We don't, we're not praying with God in some sort of game, like, oh, I asked for the wrong thing, now he's going to clobber me. With, That's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. We never need to be afraid that our Heavenly Father, who we can call our Heavenly Father because we've been adopted into His family now in Christ, we never have to be afraid that He's going to answer us outside of His will to teach us a lesson. Like, next time don't ask for that. Boom. Is that how you see God? That's That's not what the Bible presents about Him. He says, I expect you to ask for things you shouldn't be asking for. Because you're finite. I won't answer those according to the way you want it answered. I'll answer according to what's right. Boy, does that take the pressure off. Praise God, it takes the pressure off. Should give us great peace when we pray. Because God is not saying, well, you be careful what you ask me about. No, no, we don't have to be... I am finite, so I've got to pray within finiteness. I've got to communicate to them what, what is of interest to me, what I'd like to see happen. But I always end up by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
Let your perfect will be done, Lord. I trust you. I've, got, I've shared with you what I'm thinking, but I trust you. Thank you that you're going to work your perfect will in this, and I'll trust you about it. It's okay to tell them. Don't be presumptuous in your Christian life, assuming you know God's will and demanding that God do something and in a certain way, because you know it, and this is what God's will is. Now, much prayer, sadly, in our era, is a prideful presumption on the part of people. False teachers abound out there who tell people, listen, you're in the driver's seat. You know, you can pray in faith and mandate God do this and this and this. Oh, brothers and sisters, wouldn't it be terrible if that were true? Thankfully, it's biblically not true. But if it was true, what a mess. This world's already a mess. Can you imagine what a mess it would be? If God could be mandated to do what you decided to ask in faith to have him do? What kind of foolishness is that? Does that mean we shouldn't ask God trusting? Well, of course we need to ask God trusting, but we need to trust his perfect will. Voice our interest. But we're not in the driver's seat in anything. God's in the driver's seat. We can't force him to do something. He's not our genie, as I said earlier. Of course, you can sell prayer cloths with that sort of false teaching if you want. Uh, by the way, one of the reasons that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, many reasons that we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit after we were born again, and the Holy Spirit now indwells us, and many reasons the New Testament gives us, but listen to this one in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness is that? Well, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Well, there's that. That's the weakness. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What a practical reason to have an indwelling Holy Spirit in my life. Because I'm finite. I don't know how to pray as I ought. God never says, don't be afraid to pray. He just says, understand what you're asking, what my purposes are, don't always align. It's okay, let's talk, let's interact. But my Holy Spirit is going to guide. Don't ever be afraid to let your heart and wishes be known, but rest in God's promise of being a loving Father, rest in the Holy Spirit's work, that things will modify and align with his will. And here's the deal. Realize God's will is always what's best. God's will is always what's best for you. It's always what's best for me. And in fact, it's always what's best for the world. How could God really love this world and the human society at all and answer prayer in a way outside of his will? This world's in a big enough mess because of sin. What would happen if God, if the God of the universe was answering things outside of his will? It's like throwing a, gear, throwing a wrench into the gear of something. I mean, it's not a good outcome. You know, there's not a good outcome. Praise God. People come back and they say, well, listen, you know, I see we should be, when we pray, want his will done. When we voiced our concern and our desire like Jesus did in the garden, we always end it by saying, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thy be done. But here's the question. If that's the case, 
And if we're going to pray for God's will to be done anyway, why are we praying? I mean, if it's His will, why in the world are we praying then? You know, I'm sitting down trying to look at the logic of this thing and lay it out on paper. And, you know, I keep wondering, well, then why do I pray? Why do I pray? And I think there's two answers to that, both of which are biblical ones. Number one, we pray because God commands us to. There's not a single command in the Scripture that is not applicable to us because I don't understand all the reasons God gave the command. I can't come before Him later on and say, well, I didn't do that because it just didn't make sense to me. It falls on, it falls flat, all right, as, a, as an answer. Uh, so we pray because God commands us to pray. That should be enough in itself. You say, well, why do you pray? Well, God said, pray. <laughs> well, there's got to be more reasons than that. Well, there are more reasons than that, but that's the primary reason. God said to do it, so I do it. I pray. But secondly, I think, God's word makes plain that as we pray, it's a key piece This communication we're talking about, it's a key piece of how he intends our worry and our anxiety to be resolved in his will and purpose. Remember, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares about you, 1 Peter. Think of Philippians 4, you know, in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your heart and mind. People say, well, I struggle a lot with worry and anxiety. What do you pray? Well, not really because I don't understand prayer. and you know What difference does that make? And, well, we pray because God commands us to pray. And secondly, if you're not praying about this stuff, I don't have any other answer for you for the, for the anxiety and worry stuff. You know? I mean, there's not... I can give you some... I can encourage you to see somebody who can give you a drug to try to kill some of the symptoms... You know, anesthetize yourself a little bit so you're not feeling the anxiety and worry. But that's no solution to it. God's scripture is not a, like a drug. He says, you're struggling with some anxieties and fears? Let's pray about these things and you will discover the miraculous thing I do in you that I resolve some of that fear. Oh, you resolve it because you explain to me all about your will. Almost never. But but he resolves it nonetheless, because I grow to understand in maybe a deeper way. Well, I guess I'll just trust God with what I don't understand. And then anxiety and worry starts to go away. That's how prayer works. Well, there's actually even other answers than that uh, that could be made to these things. But I still think the great the, the proper first answer is, oh, God said to do it. That's it. That's what it is. And he's, yeah, he wants you to, and he says, do it. And you say, well, I don't understand how it all works in the big cosmic... You know, well, okay, talk to him anyway. You know, you could spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how it all works out in the cosmic thing and be no closer to getting that sold out. So just talk to him anyway. You know, interact with him. That's what prayer is. Well, prayer. An amazing promise about prayer for us here. And lots of other implications, as you can see as we're going through Next time, Lord willing, in verses 16 and 17, we encounter some principles about God's, who is a heavenly father, is involved in a loving discipline in the lives of his redeemed children. And what's that about? 
you know. Uh, we'll look into it, Lord willing, and examine it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being together on this day, the privilege of being your children through what Jesus Christ has done for us. We thought about it today as we shared in the Lord's Supper, and now we're reminding ourselves about it as it intersects eternal life, as it intersects prayer. What a privilege is ours, undeserved, rooted in grace and mercy, but it's ours nonetheless. Plant your word in us. May we ever be more biblical in the way we respond to life. And we'll give you thanks and praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great week, guys.